0: Hello and welcome to The Big Esports Podcast. This is episode number 32 with Woody Wu from Meta High School Esports League. Just a quick note and definition today, we talk a little bit about endemic and non-endemic sponsors and brands. Just a note that endemic is defined as companies that are natural to the space. So if you're endemic to the esports market, it's likely you're a company that makes computer processors, gaming laptops, keyboards, mice or mouse pads that are used in gaming. Or you're a company like Red Bull that's been around for a long time whereas non-endemic is often defined as pretty much everything else, from furniture to white goods to construction manufacturers, people that aren't inherently involved within the space. We had a fantastic chat today about pathways of esports, about pathways into esports from kids, what the commonalities and pushbacks are and barriers in getting through to principals, teachers and parents, and really the importance of taking those issues seriously and whether you think the information is false that they're providing to you taking what they think seriously and providing some strong evidence back to them as to why gaming might be good for their kids. We'll also talk a bit about collection of evidence, trying to get past anecdotal into statistical, and also the interface between the Adelaide Football Club, a very successful Australian rules club here, and esports and some of the reasons why they might be involved. So, if you're looking for any of the stats, links, or show notes for what we talked about today, make sure you head to bigesports.gg forward slash 32, that's the numbers Three, two, and we'll kick straight into an advertisement for our sponsor before we get into the podcast. Thanks for listening. We've chosen PLE Computers as a supporter of Big Esports because they believe in supporting the growth of the market, just like we do. What we're really excited to work with them with is a whole bunch of initiatives. Anything from our coursework teaching people about how to open up their own esports startups, or get a job in the industry, or transfer from others to creating live meets for people to meet together, to network and develop new partnerships and opportunities, to this online podcast as well. So Peely Computers is one of the largest online PC retailers in Australia, focusing on gaming and performance hardware. So you can check them out if you're interested in buying any new products or purchasing a brand new gaming PC. Woody, thanks so much for joining us today, mate. How are you this morning?
1: I'm good, thanks. Good, Chris. How about yourself?
0: Yeah, very good. It's Turning out to be a pretty cold day in Melbourne today. I think we've pretty much lost the last uh, little bit of summer.
1: Oh, really? It was actually quite hot the last couple of days. I, I prefer slightly cooler weather, to be honest, you know, being from Auckland. <laughs>
0: yeah, and you've definitely moved around a bit in your esports career. And-, and I guess that's probably, you know, a fantastic way to start. So, you know, as with every podcast, can you let us know a bit more about yourself? What have you done within the market and how is that relevant to your position to where you're at today?
1: Yeah, of course. So so really, um, you know, I grew up in Auckland, New Zealand, and uh, I played games pretty much most of my life, starting with PS1 games, RPGs, Final Fantasy. In um, high school, I played a lot of Dota custom custom map, uh, Warcraft 3. And uh, and then kind of in uni, I got into Starcraft 2, and I discovered League of Legends and got really into League of Legends. Uh, but really, where it all started was 2012, I was in Auckland. You know, um, it was World Championships, the first time League of Legends, Riot Games had an esports event at a sports stadium, the Galen Center in LA. I kind of was watching that from the other side of the world, um, saw what that looked like the, the production level, the crowd sold out in like under an hour, 10,000 person crowd in America. And I was just like really enjoying the game, really enjoying the community, watching all these videos of PAX, the Galen Center, esports, everything that's happening in North America. And here I am sitting in Auckland, kind of with, with nothing. <laughs> nothing really <laughs> happening back in 2012. You know, there were there are obviously community groups, small groups here and there doing things, but yeah, nothing like that. So so what I decided to do then, I was kind of working a graduate job in some logistics company, but I started, you know, on the weekends running internet cafe tournaments, running weekly streams, things like that with a with a group of like-minded people. Um, and we started a small community called Oceanic Gaming, primarily based around League of Legends because that's the game we all played. Um, and, you know, we were just trying to build a community, trying to replicate what, you know, the events we saw in America at a very small scale, just trying to make something happen. Kind of did that for a year and a half. And uh, across that time, you know, that was when we started. It was before Riot even had Oceania servers. They didn't have a Sydney office. We did it for like a year and a half running events, running tournaments, running community nights, pub quizzes, university tournaments, high school tournaments, you know. Um, and and kind of a year and a half, right, Osh came down, opened office in Sydney. And because of the work we had done in that space, I had an opportunity to join them um, as a community specialist. And uh, there I, I worked with you know other players in the community that were like me, players that did more than just play the game, try to build up the community, cosplayers, artists, other event organizers, tournament organizers, uh, things like that. And what, one of the big projects for me there was around university, building up the university scene, making sure university clubs were in a healthy state, um, partnering up with uni games and sort of trying to get... I guess esports League of Legends more embedded into the the standard university infrastructure, the mainstream infrastructure there. Um, and that was a lot of a lot of cool work. The you know, working with Riot, you you get a lot of insight into the game dev, game publisher side, even though, you know, the head office is North America provide a lot of opportunities to travel around, meet a lot of different people, get an inside look at game development, see see how it all works and and also um you know, explore the esports in all the different countries as well, which was really cool. Um, and at the end of 2017, I kind of left that role um, and had an opportunity to join up with the Adelaide Football Club working on high school esports. Um, I actually, you know, I actually knew a little bit about high school esports already because at Riot, they had started thinking about and developing. Avenues to approach the subject. It it didn't quite pick up fully while I was there, purely because of how. Of how I guess you know how much red tape there is dealing with high school students, making sure you're approaching it the right way. But mm. but the uh, the LA Football Club came through. They wanted to work on the space. They saw an opportunity. They had obviously legacy an esports team for you know uh, a year or two by now. And what they were seeing or what they were feeling was. Hey, we've got this esports team and and it's doing well, you know, there's there's a growth trajectory and we see a path here. But like for our footy side, there's all these community grassroots programs, all these things that are happening and, and like none of it's really happening in, in esports or especially League of Legends for for mm. our legacy team. So maybe we need to come in and, and do some of this work. So they reach out to me. Um and we we started that kind of last year was our first year, two thousand eighteen. Um our high school esports we're rebranded to meta now um and it's just a case of yeah working together with their liftable club making sure we continue to provide an opportunity for schools to to get involved you know um engaging with schools parents government to help high school students improve life skills and educational outcomes through their passion for esports and gaming
0: yeah, so so we've got a few people that listen in from America. Can you give them a bit of a download as to what the Adelaide Football Club is oh. and, and why you know their relevance to esports?
1: Yeah, yeah, of course. So so I mean, you know, being from Auckland, it's it's not super, uh, it's not something that's super massive in New Zealand actually. But coming over to Australia, uh, I, I realized that you know in Sydney, uh, I was in Sydney for a few years, and over there it's all like NRL rugby league. Yeah. Um, and in in Melbourne, Victoria, it's all. AFL, Aussie rules football, Aussie rules rugby, um, and the Adelaide Football Club is a is a footy team, a sports team here in in uh, Australia. So, so they're essentially like like an NBA team, you know, in Australia. So, them getting involved in esports is a huge step mm. for Australia, and New Zealand, because that that's another sign here down under that oh, this is something that's growing. Esports is something that's serious, and even sports teams are getting involved.
0: Yeah, and there's I guess there's a few different ways that people talk about. Um, traditional sports teams getting involved. You know the common, the common arguments or the common ways that I see said is it's either a capital play. You know they're purchasing a team to to grow the value of their organization to possibly sell or hold or sell part of in the future. Um, there's other ones which say they're just looking at additional revenue streams to bring in um, new sponsors from an endemic esports market. So you know peripheral and computer sponsors. Other people say that they're looking to further on sell their current. Um, sponsorship from the non-endemic market across to esports. So if they're already sponsored by a food brand, they might try to tack on the esports team and, and um, you know earn some more revenue from that sponsor. Or other ones talk about you know diversifying their um, audience base and trying to remain relevant to a younger audience because it's become obvious through statistics that the traditional sports fan globally is getting a bit older. So are you able to touch on a little bit as to why the, the AFC is interested in esports? Is it, is it one or is it a combination of those?
1: Yeah, I mean, I could touch a little bit on it. It's it's really really a combination of things. Um, you know, a, a lot of the things you said said are true in the sense that, like, for, for the Adelaide Football Club, it's a case of, uh, you know, AFL right now is is going pretty well. You know, it's very popular, stadiums are full. Mm. And, and them being an Adelaide team, a small city in Australia, uh, they're looking for ways not only to, you know, like you said, diversify, um, but also to take advantage and, and create, you know, uh, other opportunities while things are going well on the footy side. So, so you know they're actually not only getting involved in esports with legacy and and Meta high school esports. They've also, um, I think, building out a a baseball arm, um, baseball broadcasting arm, and and doing a lot of work in that space as well. So, it's a case of for them, um, obviously having other revenue streams and, and diversifying, but also it's a it's a it's a you know insurance play in the sense that hey while AFL is going really well right now, we have the opportunity and ability to, to explore uh, these different branches and create that diversity for ourselves and potentially protect us in the future.
0: Yeah, and, and for those who are listening who aren't really aware, you know, AFL has pretty much reached its peak here in Australia. You know, it's a victim, not not so much, I mean, I'm not sure if a victim of its own success is the right wording, but <laughs> it's to the fact that it's so popular, but it's kind of hit the cap as per what our population is. So, you know, for those that don't know, it's it's selling out, 100,000 person stadiums for grand finals and such in such a small country as Australia, you know, 23 to 25 million people, it's extremely successful. But when you reach that cap and especially when you're a smaller market, like with the Adelaide football club, you know, Adelaide being in South Australia, one of the smaller states of, of the lot. um, Yeah. I think you're definitely right in the fact that it's important to diversify. And we're seeing a lot of these AFL teams are following exactly what's happening overseas, right? Like the people that own NBA teams are also owning shopping centers and, and um, you know, being their own real estate tycoons and and owning various other businesses as well, so it seems only right that AFL starts to diversify their income streams.
1: Yeah, and I think it makes sense. You know, uh, obviously I I don't actually know the the economies and the full financials of all, all the clubs, but uh, I'd assume there's only there's only so much money you can spend and reinvest back into the team in terms from a from a return and investment perspective. So mm. it makes sense for a lot of sports teams globally and locally that once you've kind of hit that, you know peak of marginal returns, you're kind of looking at other avenues where you're like, well, we still have extra cash flow or extra capital. We need to put it to use somewhere.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So talking about your um, time with Riot, I want to touch on a little bit of, a, I guess, the personal development and esports business route, because you're now into your second full-time job in the in the gaming and esports space. And yeah. it's a lot of people listening to this podcast are looking at entry pathways in. So you identified a fairly common pathway that I've seen in the past where you reached out you said hey look gaming is something really interesting to me I'm going to get involved there's nothing that exists so I'm going to create my own thing which was your internet cafe tournaments and such and then you had a few you identified a few pivots from there was the step-by-step process for you something that you logically sat down and planned out or was it something that you went over time you did a bit of testing and then you decided now's the time to move on to the next thing or was it completely random happenstance?
1: Yeah so so like kind of in terms of the experience before Riot, right, the work with Oceanic Gaming, mm. um, that was definitely not super planned out. Um, it was more a case of I was just trying to fill a gap. So wherever I saw there was an opportunity or or a missing missing opportunity, uh, missing experience within the community, I try I try to do something about it. Uh, and that was a lot of based around what I wanted. Um, it was a case of being kind of semi selfish in the sense that uh, once again. Saw all these great experiences happening overseas, and I was like, "I want that. <laughs> I want. to be a part of that." Um, but it didn't exist. So, you know, at the start, it was a case of, "Well, tournaments didn't really happen here, especially in-person tournaments. So, so let's do that. Bring some people together. Um, we did some streaming, like weekly community nights. We also broadcast tournaments. Mm-hmm. Um, and and kind of as we built the community around those two core cool pillars, really weekly community nights, and then and then like monthly tournaments essentially we i started like moving towards um actually a, a, a mini convention um so so one thing that happened in america was was an event called like Summoner's Con. it was super cool i still want something like that to happen in australia but near the tail end or like just before i joined riot essentially the final event i ran with Oceanic Gaming was i had it out the space in Auckland and it was essentially a mini gaming convention like downstairs we're Luckily, we had the right venue for it. But downstairs, there were like driving simulators, a bunch of computers, some consoles, and upstairs was a kind of empty space where we set up a stage and kind of couch area. And then we just had like a day of tournaments, games, free play, um, where downstairs and then upstairs we had a kind of like a pub quiz style event. And then using the stage, we also held the grand finals of, of each of the games we had. So we had like Hearthstone League and I think some some other game as well, but I can't remember now. But that was kinda of last thing. We sold tickets to it actually. Um, we didn't quite break even on that one. Uh, first try, a lot of lessons. But uh like I think near the tail end I really saw a pathway there that that could have could have happened and, and we really caught on something really interesting there, but uh but then I left enjoyed riots. So so it's really a case of like working in the space, doing things and then just just continuing to to learn seeing learning from all the events you do seeing what's still missing seeing what you should do and continue to iterate right um mm. that's kind of the pathway and and really it's just through that back then i guess um especially in australia and new zealand there weren't too many people doing that in in the league of legends space at least and and uh it gave me that opportunity to to join riot when they came down primarily because you know through a lot of that work i'd been in touch with riot riot i probably the reason why I got so into it and you know started watching esports blah blah was Riot was the first company that I don't know like really spoke to me. They were like super active in communications. They like believed in esports and obviously held their big events and world championships at like sports stadiums and wanted to really level up broadcasts. And So so they're probably one of the publishers that that supports players the most in my opinion. Uh, and and when they came down here, it was a case of even though I wasn't a part of Riot and because I was running these events, we had regular communications. So when the opportunity came up, it made that process that much easier.
0: Yeah, can you touch a little bit about what your day-to-day was working with Riot as a community specialist? And, you know, what's the selection criteria for something like that? Because it seems like a, a rather good entry point into the market for someone who's interested in League.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I think the selection process is pretty tough with Riot, actually. Um, they they're they're known I guess as having like a ridiculous uh, interview process a pretty long process to be honest but mm. but it's good like they want to make sure they they have the right people on board the right team on board and they don't wanna they don't wanna have to you know hire and fire people they just want to make sure they get the right person the first time around so really it's a case of for, for Riot uh, and, and this differs region by region because of the different projects happening. In every in every kind of server region they have, but uh, in, in Australia, in the very least, uh, you know, back back then, it's been a while now. Um, but back then, uh, they were just starting out. They were really just looking for the right people to get projects started. Um, and and primarily, what they look for is not necessarily experience um, in the space, but but a lot of aptitude and and critical thinking. So it's just a case of. If you're able to show, obviously, your passion for for League of Legends and esports and gaming in general, but also an ability to break problems down, solve problems, and and execute on on the solutions that that you come up with, that's that's probably mm. where you have the most success. Um, and right now, I think they they're probably not necessarily looking for general project managers in the sense, or, or general problem solvers like that anymore. They're probably looking for more specific, like, hey, we need to solve this problem. That, you know, they've been in the space for a while now. So so now they're probably looking for more specialized people. But back then it was a case of they just came, they're really trying to figure out what the best approach is as well. So mm. it was a more general approach. And and my day to day there was I mean working at Riot's like super cool, right? Uh you can imagine working at a gaming company is, is a certain thing. But like everyone there loves the same game. Everyone there's trying to do the same thing. They have a culture of I guess uh open feedback is what they call it. So they're, they're they're big on like doing everything you can to improve the player experience make sure um, everything we do and think about is is for the players and and really it's just a case of day-to-day um, you come in you kind of make sure that you're working on the right projects and and you know you do this occasionally probably every quarter or every year you're going through what should we work on next how did how do the projects we work on go and then it's just a case of well here's project a b and c that's coming up that we need to Put effort in, and just working towards that. The day to day, I would say, was pretty flexible and nebulous in the sense that a lot of the work that I did there wasn't structured in a, in a way because there was no set formula. Right, everything you're doing was a bit new, a bit a bit on the frontier. You know, it's like, well, there isn't set processes for setting up gaming clubs and esports clubs across Australia. There isn't set processes for Helping set up the OPL, there isn't set processes mm. potentially for you know running those massive uh, live events that esports events back then in 2014, 2013. Um, so really, when when I was working there, there were some things you did day to day. You know, obviously you have like general emails and meetings, but a lot of the work was thinking and communicating around with people, and making sure that you identified the right problems to solve, and then took or create, found creative ways or found effective ways to, to solve those problems. Whether that was in like, hey, we have you know a bunch of awesome cosplayers and artists. How do we how do we best solve their issues and problems and barriers, or how do we best you know work on their strengths? And same thing for event organizers. Same thing for uni. And like one one interesting problem that's I think recurring Australia in general, but definitely something we thought about for OPL content creators, you know, artists, cosplayers, streamers, everything was a case of we're an English speaking community. Um a lot of our player base watches all the stuff from America because they English speaking the culture is very similar um you know when it comes to OPL streamers us, artists cosplayers like well how how do we get our players Australian players to watch the OPL how do we get them to watch you know us local content creators how do we get them to to appreciate local cosplayers local, local artists when the when it just doesn't feel as big because obviously the american group has not only the australians watching them but all of america as well so so that that's a recurrent problem, and it's something like it's just a case of well, you identify that there's a issue here or a problem here, and then you're just trying to find creative ways to encourage the local community, or or encourage the local artists to do more or find more. And it's a uh, yeah, it's it's definitely not structured, um, and it's just a case of really identifying the right problems, finding you know the right balance between effort and value, and then hopefully finding effective solutions and working towards that.
0: Yeah, it's a common problem we have here in Australia, right, across all titles, which is we're an English-speaking nation as are, as, uh, you know, the powerhouses <laughs> in America. And traditionally, we haven't been always on the same competitive level as them. So why, you know, what's the, what's the reason that someone in Australia would watch the OPL, which, you know, statistically wise, doesn't have as good of a player base or yeah. as long of a history or as much marketing dollars to... Um, communicate effectively that history and player base and skill level. So why would you watch the locals compared to watching something happening in America, which you can easily watch live or, um, you know, post face on um, on YouTube or, or Twitch vods or something like that. And it's, I mean, it's exactly the same thing that I went through as a player myself as a semi-professional player, you know, in some top, top four ish, top six ish teams in Australia, not the best, but for me, I'm not watching the number one team in Australia, unless it's to counter strategize them. I'm watching the ones in the U S because they're just they're simply just better
1: yeah yeah and and you know like a lot of thinking is like it's similar i'm a big nba fan as well so it's like it's similar like uh, nbl nba you know um there's a lot of parallels in sports and and you can look at a lot of different things but it's i think it's a recurring problem no one's quite solved it yet hmm. um i don't know if there is a solution but um but there's definitely there's definitely work to be done to find a niche at the very least um
0: yeah i agree yeah i think it's about finding a competitive niche and it's about providing a point of difference and building a niche market and i i Had very interesting um, thing pushed across to me from some people I've done some work with here in Australia, the Ministry of Sport, who I did a seminar with last year um, and have been very supportive of, you know, moving non-endemics into this space. And they said that their theory is that if you're watching the AFL, they're the best AFL players in the world because outside of Australia, you know, sans a couple of small engagements in China and the US, the AFL doesn't really exist. There's no one better for you to watch. So there's a reason that you would engage with that, along with the long-standing history of footy here, too, and you know the whole culture that's built around it. So yeah, there's definitely, yeah, definitely some differences. So let's let's get stuck into Meta, which is the you know the renaming of the high school esports league. I guess a fantastic place to start. Um, you know, given the media climate and and given what a lot of um, you know parents say to their kids anecdotally, <laughs> are there are there barriers getting through to these principals, teachers, and parents? How do you how do you pull them inside and say, "Hey, I'm going to ask your kid and, and encourage them to play a lot more video games than you already like them playing." So what's the what's the process for something like that?
1: Yeah, so so really the the approach or process is as, so first of all, it's like we, we try to approach it, you know, not necessarily in a case of we're asking our kids to play more. It, the, the the kind of tone and, and and angle is really, uh, you know, so many kids play games now. Like mm. every every pretty much, if you're looking at a high school boy, they've they've probably played a game. They probably play Fortnite. They're probably playing every day after school anyway. Um, <laughs> and and it's a case of understanding or drawing parallels to, to sports because a lot of these games that that the kids are playing these days are are esports titles, right? Like are multiplayer competitive in a way. Um, whether that's League of Legends or you know Rocket League or or Fortnite or Counter Strike and Rainbow Six Siege, like there are a lot of high school kids that play these games. Um, and for us, the story and the tone and the approach is when we're talking with teachers and parents, it's a case of saying, "Look, uh, these these games, you know, are, are different than the games back in the day. They're not single player. They're multiplayer. They're team based. They're, they're sports like, right? We're trying to draw sports parallels. Mm. And and it's a case of you know they're playing games anyway, so instead of it's not necessarily play more, but it's a case of instead of going home every day and then playing for however long they play, why don't we take some of that time and bring them into a structured ecosystem, right? Where, where, uh, potentially there's teacher oversight. Potentially there's coaching. There's work they're working on, you know, communication, team teamwork, mm. discipline, things like this. It's a, it's a different environment, and and it's still something they're passionate about, really. What we're trying to do here is build the story that that you know basketball can't really imagine if a kid only played pickup basketball his whole life, right? Um, there there'd be like weird norms formed and like no structure, and their their culture and type of play would be different. That's kind of what's happening in in video games right now and in, in esports right now. And since that everyone just plays solo queue, everyone plays like mm-hmm. everyone is introduced to the game. By their friends or they find it themselves and they just start playing mm. because there is like no barrier and um and then certain norms and habits and whatnot form but if we were able to introduce or even bring these kids into a structured ecosystem where they're playing as a team uh you know where they're playing in a school system with a coach with a teacher where they can learn about how to interact and and find success as a team mm-hmm. we think there are a ton of benefits to this, and it's just a case of continuing to tell that story, sh- helping you know educate teachers and, and parents about why this is why this is a benefit to them versus them playing you know kind of alone and that's you know quote unquote alone because obviously they're playing with friends online a lot but mm-hmm. alone at home and and why playing in the structured environment is good for them and and you know the the second approach is really about and and why we do League of Legends a lot is because they have this. Comprehensive, I guess, documents there. They have a website called Learn, Learn with League, and there's all these stories and sportsmanship materials, learning materials for teachers to utilize uh, and start clubs with and help students not just play League of Legends, but learn about you know what good sportsmanship is, learn about mental resilience, learn about how to you know win with grace, uh, lose, you know deal with loss, and yeah, and all these great things.
0: What's your what's your take on esports versus sport? Do you find it's a replacement for the students that play, or is it, is it a supplement? Is esports getting more people into sport, pulling them out of it? Because it's a fairly common argument that I've seen thrown around.
1: Yeah, so so I think uh, definitely the first first waves, uh, a, a a few students. There's there's a mix. There's a mix, I'd say. I, I think there's a lot of students who play sports and also esports because really what happens for for a lot of students is the people who like sports or like Esports, they're, they're into the competition aspect of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they like competing, they like improving, they like mastery, um, and that's present in both these things. So, so I, I I know a lot of students that participate in our league do both. They play sports and, and play play esports uh, games. Um, but I also know there are a bunch of students who um, they they enjoy the competitive mastery aspect of things, but for some reason sports doesn't really speak to them and. They only play esports, so this is a great avenue to bring them in. Um, so it's it's really a mix. I, I would say um, I I don't think esports replaces sports right now. <laughs> um, I think that's a that's a much deeper question, because um, when it comes to competition, when it comes to I guess human nature re- relating to competition, there's definitely a niche for esports. You know, we talk about this the scale of like physical activity versus mental ability right Mm -hmm. and most sports lie somewhere along the spectrum where it's you know part physical part mental when you talk about like Mm -hmm. afl rugby you know there's still strategy and and mental capability required but there's a lot of physicality to it When you talk about you know games like tennis or or basketball less less physicality but more you know maybe slightly more mental in terms of like the capacity that's opened up because you don't have to be so fast or so strong in, mm-hmm. in terms of contact sports, and then you know uh, at the, all the other end of the spectrum, there's like chess, right, which is like all mental, no physical, and esports probably lies closer on that end of the spectrum than most things. It'll just be interesting to see how it all develops. I think right now it doesn't replace sports primarily because you know it healthy body, healthy mind, so people still need to still need to be physically healthy and. And sports is a great way to do that. And and like competition needs and exercise can can go together. But I, I think the interesting question would be like, you know, five, 10, 20 years down the track when VR, or AR is much more developed and there are kind of these interesting games to play where it's I don't know what you would call it, like esports, but also very physical, you know, like um, these new age sports where you have augmented reality or virtual reality, creating these new games that people have never played before in the physical world, um that I think that's when the conversation will become interesting in terms of a replacement. But right now, I think it's a case of they'll they'll coexist, and I think they each have their niche.
0: we And we talked a little bit off air about um, data collection statistics and and some case studies that you have going on, and you you mentioned a bit about how there's not not enough data at the moment really to comment on you know what the benefits are or what the what the weight is with bringing esports into schools can you let us know about what sort of data you're collecting and and maybe when you expect to have some tangible results
1: yeah so so for us it's a case of you know validating a lot of uh, assumptions right now you know we have theories and assumptions that it makes sense to engage students in their passion and and through this not only will they be able to play the game better but play in a more productive way learn sportsmanship but also they'll be able to be more engaged in the school community right like if if their school recognizes their passion a lot of uh, we hope that you know they'll be more engaged in school as well and, and mm. we believe we've seen that uh in sports and, and other activities you know music drama chess sports things like this and it's a case of I guess now validating our assumptions and theories in eSports so so a lot of the information we're, we're looking to collect and right now it's primarily stories and and you can find some great stories on on Learn with League as well, but um, it's all about understanding. Okay, so we're building up a network of schools and students that play, um, and we're just trying to find the right way to to collect that information, uh, organize it so that we can understand. Hey, of the students who participate, how has their behavior changed as a result of it? And and we're still in the very early stages of this, but but really, what it would look like is essentially we'd. We'd be hopefully kind of sampling, you know, the the students that participate, comparing that to how traditional regular students perform, and and also how they performed before esports was a thing at their school, and hopefully we see some improvements across the board, not only in kind of social skills, uh, teamwork, communication, the soft skills, but also in some more uh, defined metrics around kind of school participation, uh, absenteeism, and and potentially even even the grades.
0: And it seems like a pretty logical argument that you're putting forward. You know, you like identifying some of the points that you've raised so far is that the kids are playing games anyway. Um, you know, let's turn it into a social and welcoming environment. Let's not um, be downtrodden on them, as is, you know, some concepts in the traditional media, which are kind of, you know, playing down on kids playing Fortnite and calling them stupid for, for doing so and such, <laughs> you know, alienating their future audience and yeah really making a positive community out of what's happening and i'd be really interested to see some of that some of that data and for anyone who's listening you can head to BigEsports.gg forward slash 32 which is three two where you'll find all the show notes for this episode so we'll put in some links there to meta um where people can go and and yeah find this information when it comes out when the case studies are published do you have a do you have a timeline woody on those when they might come out
1: uh, there's no there's no timeline right now. We're we're still in the very early stages. Really we're still building out the school and student database. Um mm-hmm. we're, we're only in our second year, so it's just a case of building out the right right database, make sure we're running smoothly and then hopefully we'll off the back of that be able to collect some of that great information and, and validate these things. But, you know, uh, personally for me, like it, it it's a case of like always there's always trade offs in, in the business world and yeah. And right now we're definitely more focused on the execution and in the collection of data and and a lot of the times you know uh, i i don't know if you've seen this before but like there'll be these articles that come out and science will prove that water is indeed wet or you know et cetera, et cetera. people things that people knew intuitively for a long time but hasn't mm. been scientifically proven and and i think like right now for us the focus is to make sure that the opportunity is there and we continue to break down barriers mm-hmm. um we think there's still a lot of room to grow on that perspective, even without this data right now. Um, but there will be a point where the data is required to break through that next barrier. And, and I, I think that's when a, a much bigger focus will be put on it. Mm-hmm. But right now, it's a slow burn in the sense that we know it's something we'll need sometime in the future, and we're working towards that. But the bigger, the bigger I guess, work piece right now is to get the league up and running and continue to talk to teachers and, and students about opportunity
0: and what what sort of scale are you working with right now how many schools how many students
1: yeah so so right now um we're still in the middle of rocket league and nba 2k signups two two new games we announced this year but but for league of legends we've been running for five weeks already we've got about 230 teams participating in our league Mm -hmm. um and that's across like 150 ish schools or 148 schools so so you know and then obviously league of legends teams has five players So about you know over a thousand players are, are participating in our competition, so that's kind of where we're at right now, and and we think there's a lot of room to grow because obviously there's thousands of schools, high schools in in Australia, and uh, we want to make sure that kind of every school provides that opportunity for their students who have a passion in esports.
0: yeah and what are what are the common pushbacks like if you had schools that have flat out? Just refuse to become involved. Like, what's their reasoning?
1: Yeah, uh, there, there, there are a lot of. There's a lot of pushback. <laughs> um, um, re- really, a lot of it is, you know, generally what what you would find from a from a mainstream media perspective. Uh, I would I would say it's evolved a bit. Like, you know, before it was a lot about like, oh, we're not sure about games. There's a violence thing there. Um and that's still present, but it's it's not as it's not like the main issue anymore. Yeah. The the new issues that are coming in is like, well, you know, gaming addiction, how does that work? Um, mm. you know, how does games affect young people's minds and brains, especially the way they're developed and designed to be fun and engaging, right? Mm. Um, so that's coming into it a bit more and, and and the the latest thing that's coming in, and you know, this is a hot topic across gaming as well, but um, there is there is some some discussion and talk about you know loot boxes and gambling and and their involvement in games and how that affects high school students as well. So so the the broad the biggest thing is primarily around uh, probably the the gaming addiction thing. And then there are hint, there are still hints of violence and there's there are now coming in a, a more hints of like gambling and loot boxes. What is and isn't okay in that space as well. So. So those are the primary barriers and, and really it's just a case of I think continuing to educate, especially school leadership, um, governments, teachers and parents. You know, the students are all on board. Really, like when we run these leagues, when we work with Riot Games to to participate in the league, a lot of a lot of the, the focus is finding ways to empower students right now. Um, to empower them to talk to teachers, get teachers on board, uh, because you know it's while we do reach out to teachers ourselves, it's definitely not super scalable. But if we can provide information, provide stories, provide the right documents for students and empower them to talk about the league and the opportunity in the right way, they they can go out and kind of bring on teachers that that are a bit more progressive thinking that that are that are interested at the very least to to get involved and in, be involved in something their students are passionate about. I think in the future, you know we want to do, many, many more things, not just working through students and directly outreaching teachers, but we need to physically go out and speak at schools and and do a lot of um, teacher conventions, things like that. But kind of in the first two years, that's been the main focus.
0: And you've identified, um, you know, something that I find really important there is the fact that you need to take their concerns seriously and whether you find them legitimate or not. And this is a problem, I think, of the esports market where a lot of the time you find that there's an us versus them mentality. There's the, <laughs> you know, traditional media is out to get us, chuck your tinfoil hat on with the eSports or lowercase s on the front of it. Yeah. And, you know, anything they say, you just need to call them idiots and abuse them. But a lot of the time, you know, this is where they're getting their information from. So if they've got concerns, no matter whether you find it legitimate or not, it's very important to have data and evidence yeah. to provide to them to give back because- you know, you can understand that parents are very protective of their children, and if if they're seeing issues around gambling in esports, and they're seeing issues around you know the World Health Organization saying gambling is an addiction, calling them an idiot is very unlikely to get them into <laughs> your cause. Um, and they're likely just to start. You know, maybe they'll escalate back at you. Yeah, um, exactly,
1: exactly. And that think, doesn't help anyone. Yeah, I think you touched on a really important thing there. I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of esports fans who are parents, and but but I guess for me in my circle, a majority of us are not. And I think it's really, you know, key to take their concerns seriously. Really, they they just want what's best for their child, their 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 high school student, their kid, right? Yeah. And we just need to bridge the gap in understanding and really work with them to address the concerns. We can't just say, we can't just dismiss them and be like, ah, it's not a thing. You know, uh, violence is yeah. not a thing, gambling is not a thing, whatever. It's really a case of going in and really understanding, talking to them, understanding. Hey, what are the problems? Like, is it violence? Is it gaming addiction? Is it gambling? Yeah. And then coming back, looking at the games we offer and and poking through and educating them about, hey, here's you know, here's where we're at. And it might be a case of there's there's a middle ground. It's not a case of, you know, oh there's no violence, there's no issues with violence or there's no issues with gaming addiction, there's no issues with gambling. There might be hints of it here and there, but it's just a case of talking about, hey, you know, there's violence, but Maybe that's not you know, that's not why people play the game, why people play CSGO or League of Legends. It's not because they get to kill someone. Um, that's a little part of the game, but it's really more about the strategy, outplaying people, you know, and I try to explain it in a way that it's like in basketball, the the, the most fun part about basketball is as an individual, when you like, you know, pretend to go right and then cross over left and trick someone or you know you outthink them or as a team mm. you run a play and you outthink them and then you execute a play right individually or as a team and that's really at a, at its core what what's so fun about league of legends and and games like team games like csgo it's like yeah you get to kill them and that's the reward versus you know ankle breaking someone or dunking on someone but mm. but really the the enjoyment comes from the knowledge that you you outthought them you you anticipating what they were going to do, and then you did something that countered that, and that's where the fun yeah. comes in. And when you try to break it down and educate people and truly understand more about the game, and then they they can slowly come around. And and then you know, with gaming addiction and gambling, it's similar things where we need to understand where the concerns are coming from, and then uh, try to address these issues as best we can.
0: Yeah, when like when chatting to parents or to businesses to get them educated and interested on the market. You've identified two commonalities that that I like to lean on. Number one is the critical thinking aspect, where I tell them that, for example, I remember you know my last competitive on stage match in, in CS:GO was 2013, um, about you know about April 2013 to so about now, um, and I can tell them that I know that on our default on Terror side of of you know a map called Dust Two. <laughs> I would go into B uppers to lowers and I would I know every angle that I would check, I know where I'd pre-fire, I know where I'd throw grenades, and then I'd know the five or six strategies strategies that we would possibly execute after that. And, you know, the the likeness that those were going to happen and exactly what I would have to do. And I'd know that, you know, at a minute twenty-four I'd have to complete this action, but not if this was the case, or if one of my teammates was down, I'd have to take their spot, or I'd walk in third into the map, you know, etc. All these kind of critical thinking aspects that also helps i think show people that you you can't really have an interchange it's not the same that you can just take um you know wing defense in counter-strike because there's a step-by-step process for 45 different things that you've drilled into your head over many (laughs) many hours of doing what they call dry running which is running through in an empty server with your mates throwing grenades at nothing just practicing and the other one is just importance of understanding your numbers like i understand that i'm probably a bit of an anomaly in the fact that i love esports numbers and not everyone is as absolutely nerdy about it as I am. But I think that when you can start to communicate these numbers across to people, um, I've, you know, I wouldn't say one arguments, but I've I've gotten people more interested in looking at esports purely just by the numbers on offer and by the absolute breadth of numbers that currently exist in the market. So when you can say to these people that, hey, not only did League of Legends sell, you know, tens of thousands of tickets at the bird's nest, to, for people to watch their finals with picture evidence. There was also 1 million concurrent people watching E League at the end of 2017 for a CSGO finals, not including China. Yeah. Um, you know, there's more people that have been watching esports in the League of Legends finals than there are people watching things like the NBA finals or the NFL finals. And, you know, talking about the absolute numbers of people that are playing, like League of Legends with, you know, minimum 4 million concurrent people logged in at any one time playing the game as early as 2015 talking about the numbers within Fortnite, if you're talking about businesses about the immense amount of revenue and profit that they're making or that the dota 2 international you know <laughs> prize pool was 25 that's always a great one you know, 0.7 million dollars and out of that all bar 1.6 million was crowdfunded and out of that crowdfunding amount that the leftover 23 million that's only 25 percent of the amount of money that went into valve so out of a marketing exercise you know let's be extrapolate some costs and Make them very expensive. Valve likely made $50 million profit out of a marketing exercise, which is ridiculous. So they got paid to market their own game. So, you know, just using some of these numbers, talking about, you know, salaries of players being in, you know, the low to mid six figures around the world, salaries of players in Australia, you know, reaching above minimum wage standards now, um, you know, esports employees. There was a recent thing that came out in China that there's over 10,000 esports employees in China now as well. So, you know, helping them understand the scale of severity and interest of the industry through numbers, through photos, and through talking about brands that are currently involved like Mercedes and BMW, et cetera, you can start to show them that it's serious. And one of the fantastic ways I I could see when I talked to a politician once here, a local politician in, in Melbourne, um, who was a party leader, and I could see his brain ticking over when... I was talking to him about eSports and then he went, wait a minute, my son plays Minecraft and every time that his friends come over, they play Minecraft. And when I go to my other friends' places, their kids are playing Minecraft. So maybe there is a market here. Maybe it's just not not just my kid that's obsessed with this weird game I don't understand. And he started to really come across to a lot of it. You know, It's just about putting those pieces together in their head and helping them understand that You know, if you wanted to get paid in the 1930s to play cricket or AFL full-time, you know, you were seen as a bum. There was no way that that was a possible thing. You know, you should be doing it for the love. You should be drinking beer at halftime and smoking cigarettes. (laughs) And that was just the norm. But, you know, now with esports, we're starting to see that development. And it's okay for, you know, people to be negative about it. And the common question is, you know, what do you think as someone in the market of traditional sports people that don't say esports is a sport? And my answer is I don't care because we're building our own market you know they've got their sports. That's fine. You know I, I like a bit of NRL. I like a bit of cricket, etc. But I don't feel threatened by them, and I don't feel their opinions threaten me. The same way that if someone from swimming said that um, endurance running isn't a real sport, you know who cares? Swimming's not going to kill running. Running's not going to kill swimming. They're different things. People like different things.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and, and you know a touch on an important thing there as well. Like another thing we that helps we find that helps when talking to teachers and parents is also you know bridge it's about bridging the understanding but like when we start talking about not just the playing aspect of of esports in terms of like pro player salaries you know opl ocs competition things like that but mm. even when we start talking about things like oh there are coaches or there's broadcasting and, you know and there's tournament organization there's all these aspects to esports that make it happen they're like oh wait you mean like you guys actually have like people that broadcast Put on a show and like all that's involved in that. You guys have graphic designers, video editors, and everything like that. And like these things are all about just talking and like meeting. I guess meeting the parents, and teachers, where they are at in terms of their resource understanding, and continuing to understand, you know, what their concerns are, and bringing up the relevant information to to try address those.
0: Mm, I think you guys are taking a logical approach, which is fantastic. So I guess it brings me into the next thing. Then you you chat a little bit about violence in, in games. Um, in various games, obviously games like Counter Strike, having <laughs> terrorists versus counter terrorist bombs, and AK forty sevens. You know, depending on the political climate, can be a bit touchy. So, how how do you pick as Meta a game to push to these students? And is it a, you know, is it a, is it a massive process for you?
1: Um, it's I wouldn't say it's a massive process. Really, really, what we're doing here is, you know, um, for us, it's all about engaging with schools, parents, governments, teachers to to help students that like esports in schools right like the uh, the end goal really is hopefully by the end of it all however long it takes um every school in Australia kind of provides opportunities and support for students with a passion for esports you know mm. they have access to national or local leagues just like any other sports athlete would have they have training and development maybe they even have like esports arenas on campus just like how every school has a football field or a basketball court right um, we just want to make sure that esports are supported like sports in schools mm-hmm. by schools parents and government bodies and and when it comes to the games that we're, we're talking about it's really a case of like how do we get to that ultimate vision that end goal right and and right now you know potentially every esports game could be thought of as an individual sport um, and it doesn't Always makes sense to just do basketball or just do soccer. Like no school only offers one sport, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we definitely do look and want to offer, explore multiple esports titles. And really, our our key criteria is that like a it needs to be relatively popular, right? Um, in the sense that like we're trying to tap into students' passions as an engagement tool. So students have to actually be playing the game that that you introduce. It can't be Something that they don't play um, mm-hmm. because that, that won't generate the same kind of interest that, that, you know, if it's a game that they already play. Um, so it has to be relatively popular already. Um, you know, it has to be an e-sports game for us. Our focus and our approach is around sportsmanship, it's around soft skills and that extracurricular activity approach. I think, I think there are a lot of great programs out there, you know, when you talk about Minecraft and, and other games do more on the art and and stem and and uh actual curriculum stuff but really our approach is from a esports extracurricular soft skills team building aspect um so for us whether it it can be one-on-one but it can be it can be team-based but it has to be competitive right we're we're talking about you know like league of legends um like nba 2k these games can should can it should be competitive because that's where You can learn those life lessons through competition. Um, So that's kind of the second core criteria, and the third one is is a bit flexible, but it's really about what what we feel or what we think is uh, approachable or digestible by you know the important people, the important stakeholders in the industry, teachers, school leadership, Mm. government, and you know when you talk about how we feel, how we look at about that right now is like you know, while we personally might not have any qualms or issues about games like CSGO or Rainbow Six Siege and things like that, um, you know, it might not be the case yet for government and teachers and school leaders. So so right now, really, it's a case of, well, what are they okay with? Let's, you know, the game of inches, let's let's break down that barrier slowly and chip away at it. And, you know, that's why we're doing League of Legends, because it's probably almost right now for a lot of Teachers and parents, anyway, like that's that's the edge for high school students from a violence perspective. Like mm. it's violent, but it's top down. It's fantasy, maybe okay, right? Um, yep. and
0: yeah, and, then, we, and we talked, and we t- sorry to cut you off. We we talked a little bit off air about that as well. Yeah, right? about yeah, values yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, and and, and uh,
1: like that's why I, you know Rocket League and NBA Two K are two titles where it's kind of they're relatively popular, the esports titles, but you know there there's no violence, there's no issues with any other thing. That 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 parents and teachers and government might have concerns with. So you know, I think for for the next few years, anyway, I think Rocket League's probably really well positioned to be successful in high schools. And then as we do it, as people start experiencing esports and seeing some results and seeing how students that were you know maybe previously a bit more introverted, don't really engage in school, come out of their shells and really start um, engaging in school, participating in things and group work and things like that um, through Rocket League, then we can slowly break down barriers, address concerns, and bring in more games. But uh, yeah, it's a it's a process. <laughs>
0: yeah, and part of what we talked about is the normalization of games, and something that you know we're trying to do here with Shade, which is a new kind of influencer collective that, that we announced uh, you know through Big recently, and saying that games are, are such a normal thing now. And like you were saying before, you know, the average boy in high school very likely plays games after school, statistically speaking, and it's likely to be something like Fortnite or League. And you know, League of Legends, I feel, was anecdotally anyway the first catalyst of bringing games into mainstream it was the first time that you saw a lot of young people playing the same game not just flash games or trying to kind of progress into playing you know illegally playing ma games and convincing (laughs) their parents to buy them gda or or battlefield like you know a lot of my peers did and myself but talking about league of legends on the train attending you know different events with their parents or without their parents going to things like eb expo and now it's become Fortnite, where Fortnite for me is the new minecraft where it's a massive icebreaker and it's much closer to esports and competitive gaming than minecraft is yeah. so it's much easier to talk about it with these people and it's the same that when i talked to this politician at the end of 2017 about esports minecraft was the thing but now every time it's Fortnite because they've got um you know they've got a son or a daughter or a niece or a nephew that plays Fortnite very likely and it's likely they played it when they were together at Christmas, which is only a few months ago from now, so it's <laughs> quite fresh in their minds. So, is there like is is there planned expansions into other games for you? Um, and what what's the role of the publisher? What role does the publisher play in this? And for those who are listening, um, I know that a lot of our listeners listen to each episode, but if you haven't, make sure you go back to listen to our last episode, which is thirty one with Josh Inman from ESL, because he talks about the importance of aligning yourself with a publisher and getting their approval. So, how open are the publishers to this concept?
1: Uh, so. Uh, publishers are uh, by and large open to the concept. I think. I think it really comes down to um, educating them as well. Like once again, we started with Riot Games because they they already were working in the high school space, um, and they have a lot of materials that help bridge that information gap. You know, for teachers and parents to to talk about. You know, uh, not only how do you play the game, but what the game is, but also how you can use the game to to teach sportsmanship and mm. and soft skills. So so. Right, games are definitely like super, super keen, and that's why we work with them so much. Um, and and other publishers it's just a case of reaching out. You know, we're we're talking with Cyanex, we're talking with NBA Two K, and they're all definitely interested in the space and uh, and open to the idea. And it's just a case of showing them that there is scale and there is value and there is growth potential here as well for them. Mm. You know, for for publishers, yeah, it's it's super important to align. You know, and within the esports ecosystem, like publishers they're kind of the gatekeepers, right? They hold all the IP and resources behind them. So mm. it's very important to make sure they're on board with what you're doing. Um, but I think when we talk to when we talk to publishers, it's really a case of like, I think they're all on board, right? Like they understand the same things we understand. They're all gamers in the same way that we're all gamers. And we all just want to see esports grow. And even though we don't need it to be legitimized per se, but it, it helps, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's a nice feeling when, everyone can accept your hobby and everyone can see esports on an equal field as 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 everything else, especially from a resources and and support perspective. so for them like they're all on board and they're they're interested and it's just a case of us continuing that conversation and making sure that they know where what we're doing they know that we exist and putting them in a position to plan for that because you know, once again, within publishers and game developers, it's always trade-offs. Um, like Psyonix, they might have when we started reaching out to them, they might have a different strategy in terms of where their focus is, not just uh from a project perspective. Like, for example, I think, you know, they might be a bit more focused on the collegiate scene right now, mm-hmm. um, in terms of their strategy. But even like regionally, um, not not every publisher is as hands on in Australia or New Zealand as as Radar. So you know, they're just making sure that they know we exist, they know what we're doing, and hopefully we can continue the discussion, show them the value, and then they can, uh, as they plan out, you know, 2020 or future years, they can continue to, to think of us and put us in those plans.
0: Yeah. And look, we're, we're almost at an hour and it's bringing me, you know, we're kind of hitting the back end of our questions now, but one thing I definitely want to talk about, you know, as we are a business podcast and we talked about publishers, publishers hold the IP, they hold the rights to the game. But they also hold most of the money in the aspect as well. So a quick segue into meta. what's the what's the revenue breakdown for meta? How do you guys make money? Do you charge um, players or schools to sign up? Are you working on a sponsorship kind of schedule? How does it work internally?
1: Yeah, so so right now, um we're we're not really making money right um we've this is our kind of year 1.5 <laughs> this will be our second year running mm-hmm. um and we're, we're we really see a, a big opportunity as i mentioned there are like two thousand high schools in australia new zealand like or more than right two thousand plus. and you know potentially the idea is getting every single one of them to have an esports offering right and being being the the team that can provide that so mm. the the i guess the broader strategy from the monetization and revenue perspective, is really a combination of um, sponsorships, especially earlier on, because you know we have we're building and have will have a big network of schools and students and teachers. Um, so, so we're definitely looking to plug in the right partners and sponsors into that space. Um, and then in the in the medium to long term, as we continue to do that, sponsorship will still be a part of it. Finding the right partners to work with, finding the right Brands to work with in the high school space. Um, But we'll be looking to continue to develop um, other aspects as well in terms of adding value to the ecosystem itself. You know, when you talk about having that end goal of every school in Australia and New Zealand providing esports as that extracurricular option, right? You know, Mm. when you start the school year, you're like, hey, should I do basketball? Should I do soccer? Should I do chess, music, drama? Oh, maybe I'll do esports, right? League of Legends or whatever it might be at the time, Rocket League. this ecosystem, you know, potentially hundred thousand plus students. You know, if we can find ways to then add value into it, like is there is there a way we can connect coaches with students or schools? Is there a way we can um, work with publishers directly and add value from a from a game perspective? Um, you know, League of Legends specifically in in South Korea has a system called League Unlocked for their PC bunks, mm-hmm. which is internet cafes over there, and I mean essentially if you play League of Legends at an internet cafe in South Korea, um, you get access to more content in the game without paying for it, right? Because you're paying for time at the net cafe and blah, blah, And And the idea is Mm. uh, the internet cafes have worked with League of Legends to create a system where if you, you know, play at a certain IP or whatever, um, you just get extra content unlocked. And when you're playing there, you get a better experience. You get more skins, you get, you know, more champions, and then you can try different things. Um, So it's a case of like, just building that network for us, plugging in sponsors, but also adding value in the long run—more value to to uh, students and, and teachers in schools. You know, um, we talk about the long-term goal of like maybe every school should have like an esports training facility, kind of like the QUT space, right? Those guys are doing cool stuff. Mm. Um, but maybe every high school should have it too, right? All high schools have basketball courts, they have soccer fields. Why not? Why not esports arenas? Um, and then it's a case of well, who provides that? Who's going to make that happen? Who's going to run and operate that? Uh, well, who decides yeah. what games are there? All what money. Software? Right? Um, yeah, it's resources. It's money. It's about yeah. who provides that added value, right? Um, and then once again, like, what else can you? Essentially, when you have, you know, all these high school students who are into esports, and you know, you can break them down in segments: aspiring pros, social people, social competitors, whatever. It might be, um, it's a case of like, okay, well, do do schools and teams in high school need eSports uniforms? Do they need um, do they want added value from a game? Do they want you know how do how does esports arenas work? How does X, y Z work? And it's just a case of understanding this network and and membership essentially, and then finding ways to add more and more value. So that everyone wins, right? We provide a better experience to everyone that's competing in esports—not not just the students, but schools as well. Um, and then we also can find ways to plug brands in as well to make that all happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, other things to think about is like, well, when you have all these students like who are into esports, schools for accepting of it. Like, what what do summer camps look like? What do summer programs look like? Oh, summer, uh, school holiday, right? Um, mm-hmm. And and like, there's there's we think there's a huge Untapped potential in grassroots esports in general, and you know, high school specifically for what we're doing. But, um, there's yeah, it's kind of like blue sky, and it's a case of for us just making sure we we can get to that scale. And you know, it's short term, it's like mainly sponsorships. And then as we develop a bit more scale and and a bigger membership base and and school participation rate, we think there's there's a lot of value we can add directly into the ecosystem and, and monetize as well.
0: It's funny, actually. Um, the, the two words or the one phrase, blue sky, is something that I've heard so much in the past three weeks. It's swept <laughs> over the esports market globally.
1: Really? Yeah, yeah a lot yeah. of people I are think, looking at Yeah, you, know, you know, esports is still young, even though it's come a long way, right? We talk about, like, 2011, 2012, like... Yeah. Uh, you know, for me, it's like League of Legends. 2011 was at DreamHack. It was, this like, $100,000 World Championship, and it was only NAEU, and then they made a huge leap in 2012 to Galen Center, 10,000-person crowd, and then, yeah. well, Bird's Nest was... 40,000 people in China, Beijing, and an Olympic stadium. So it's come a long way, but mm. it feels like there's still so much.
0: And even the so game, game itself, right? It was a 500 megabyte download. Previous, <laughs> and You could store it on a USB and plug it, play, and off you go, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. The game's come a long way. So, and yeah, that, that you know... And it, sometimes I think um, there's huge, like, once again, there's still so much potential for, for esports to grow, but we... You know, uh, we need to be cognizant that the game is, is a very, very vital part of that ecosystem. So we need to always you know not ne- not keep tabs, but you know, keep the relationship, keep the communication up with publishers, make sure that we understand the health of the games we're involved in and we understand that um, we need to work with publishers to make make these great things happen because they're the ones that keep the game going. Without the game, you don't really have much to work with.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, as with any company, you've got competitors in the market. Um, competitive analysis is something that you know a lot of people are doing in esports while they're trying to grow. So, is there is there anything that your competitors do better than you? What are you learning from them?
1: Um, I think from a competitor standpoint, we we haven't like really looked too much in there. I think in the high school space, there's there's a lot of room, right? It's not like uh, esports teams or or event organizers where. It might be getting a bit more crowded in a sense, yeah. But um, really, I think we see we, you know, it's it's not a. I think probably what we identify more is we're not really looking at competitors too much right now. It's more a case of there's so much to learn, working in the space ourselves and identifying kind of what gaps we have mm-hmm. when it comes to you know engaging with the key stakeholders in the high school ecosystem. When we're talking about you know parents, teachers, students, governments. You know, education departments. Um, the work we've done, the way we've worked. Um, there's still so much to do and learn just from a, almost a first principles perspective. Just breaking down the problem, identifying where we think the most value could be, and just identifying skills gaps within within our team. Um, it's really a case of uh, just just thinking about well, you know, right now we have. Good relationships with publishers. Um, we have the capability and capacity to run national leagues. Um, we're building technology to manage kind of um, the network of schools and students. And we, we think these are things that we're doing well. And um, things that we need to improve on is, is more on the relationship side. So this year um, in Queensland, we're working with Riot and University of Queensland Union. Which is a student union in delivering the state competition in Queensland. And uh, we're learning a lot, working with them, seeing how they approach the problem uh, compared to how we approach the problem, I guess broadly in, in, in the national space. Um, but definitely when you when you have a university there, um, they have a lot of advantages in the sense that they're, they're they, they themselves are an educational institute. Um, and they have existing networks to talk to high schools about these things. And they bring a certain level of legitimacy when they talk about these things and the benefits. So so really, probably uh, going forward, what we're looking at is how do we continue to amplify our strength from a pop relationship perspective, a, a technology perspective, and a, and a tournament operations perspective, but also how do we shore up some of our weaknesses in the sense of, hey, how do we uh, add legitimacy to to what we're doing? You know, In the same way that a university might bring to it, or how do we have strong relationship with schools and education departments? Because that's probably where we're uh, lacking a bit in the sense that, hey, we, we need more experience and, and insight into what, what teachers' needs and wants are. And same for government education departments and whatnot, and how best to tackle those problems. So, so that's probably how we're thinking about it right now.
0: There's a lot of um a lot of parents and and grandparents aunties and uncles etc that that listen into this podcast. What's your advice for them if they've got a if they've got a kid that's playing a lot of games that they think should get involved? Where can they find out what Meta's doing?
1: Um, well, I mean, I mean, the first thing I, I would say is really if you're concerned or or uh, wanting to learn more, the the first step would be probably to talk to and openly communicate with you know the child or grandchild just. Get involved, see what they're doing. Um, try to try to be interested or take an interest in their passion because I think what you'll find is that the the kid themselves has a ton of knowledge about what they're doing, mm. um, what they love about it, what they hate about it. And you'll see you'll see this kind of spark when they talk about it, and and the passion when they talk about it. And you'll learn a lot already in in understanding kind of how they play, who they play with, when they play, what they play. Just by talking directly and engaging with the child themselves, and like you know, one day what I would love to see is, especially as our generation uh, grows older, like a really direct approach in terms of getting involved. You know, in the same way that um, parents used to introduce their children to to footy or or basketball or softball. You know, throwing ball in the back backyard or playing some cricket or playing some basketball, going shoot around, whatever it might Mm be. Um, I'd love for more parents to get involved in the game and get in there and like learn about it, play with them, try try to <laughs> experience that. Even though it is definitely difficult for for people who haven't played games before. And then um, outside of that, if if you're wanting to learn more um, about games, you know the, the specific thing is like it's different for each game. Um, so you know if they're playing Fortnite and you want to learn more about Fortnite, um, you'd have to find you know the Epic Games Fortnite website, learn more about that, learn more about the content creators, and they, they have their own ecosystem. For well, League of Legends and the game we're in, like a great website is um, learnwithleague.com. Um, there's tons of resources there about what the game is, how to use it productively from a sports perspective. Um, there's obviously our website, metahse.gg, where people can learn about what we're doing kind of how we approach things and how we think about things and uh, we obviously link out to learn with league as well um, and then it's just a case of yeah being involved in the in the passion i think that's the key cuz cuz your child will know best kind of what game they're playing what they're doing what they're watching and then through them you can see the esports or gaming world that they see right and and that's that's where i think the most value lies
0: Sounds like a pretty wholesome approach. So, <laughs> if, if someone wants to learn a bit more about Meta or yourself, where can they find you online?
1: Uh, yeah, so they can find us on our website primarily, which is metahse.gg, um, or they can find me on Twitter, um, which is Twitter but Marauder spelt weirdly. I'll have to write it down. <laughs> um, and we're on on social as well. So, you know, MetaHSE has a Instagram page, a YouTube a YouTube page, a, a Facebook page, and a Twitter page, and we we post regularly on those. Not only uh, information around you know sportsmanship and how best to approach gaming but also some highlights and videos from our from our competition and league as well so 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 those are always cool to check out
0: yeah once again for anyone listening you can just head to BigEsports.gg forward slash 32 the number three two and we will throw all the links in there to woody's weirdly spelt twitter handle uh, to (laughs) meta and to everything else so what's coming up next for you what's the what's the plan as we um yeah, starting to almost enter the second half of 2019. Scary.
1: Yeah, this year's gone by fast. But uh, what's coming up for us is, um, you know, on the league side, we're we're on a small break right now because of school holidays. But but things are going to pick up once again in term two. We're in the midst of um, registrations for Rocket League and NBA 2K. So we're hoping to get a bunch of teams and schools on board for that, which will be really cool. Um, and you know, by the halfway mark of the year, uh, late June, early July, we're going to be running some live regional finals. So, so the top teams from each state and New Zealand will be facing each other to determine who's the best in that specific region, state. Mm. Um, and then uh, we'll have one more competition where the top team from each state or region plays each other, uh, culminating in a grand finals at the Melbourne Esports Open. So, so that's kind of what's happening this year. And where we're just making sure, hopefully, everything's lined up, everything's ready from an operational perspective. And uh we have a great event. So so that's kind of what we're doing.
0: What you mate, fantastic to chat to you today. And I think the answer I'll give you is the same as, as what I see all the time is when people say, I wish I had this in high school.
1: <laughs> that's exactly it. That that's that's part of why I'm doing it as well. Still still doing what I want to see. <laughs>
0: always never grow up, always be a kid and you can always be playing games. Fantastic. And and also I think a takeaway from this for me is there's So much positive anecdotal evidence for this. I can't wait to see more statistics and numbers to back it up, to be able to, you know, present this off and and help esports grow in Australia. So thanks so much for joining us today, mate. Thank you very much. Thanks, Woody, and thank you to the listeners for tuning in. Once again, this has been episode 32 of the Big Esports Podcast with Woody Woo from Meta High School Esports League. Anything we've talked about today, links to Twitter's websites or sign-up pages, make sure you head to bigesports.gg forward slash 32. That's the number 32, and you'll find all the show notes there. Thanks, and bye for now. Thanks for tuning in to our podcast today. For show notes, relevant links, and upcoming projects, you can check us out online at bigesports.gg or follow us on our social medias at Esports underscore gg. Today's podcast and all of Season 1 and Season 2 has been brought to you by our sponsor, PLE Computers.